0: www.bottlenecktobreakthrough.com. So many entrepreneurs struggle with mental health quietly, afraid to acknowledge, and certainly not to discuss it out loud with others. This episode is so important as we talk about how you can deal with it, how to recognize the signs, and some strategies to overcome it.
1: This is The Real Bottom Line, where we tell entrepreneurial stories about true grit and perseverance from frontline business owners themselves. Now, let's get started.
0: Mental health issues and
1: entrepreneurships,
0: they kind of go together, but they don't. Uh, And it's a big thing for entrepreneurs. And we're going to dig into that today on this episode of The Real Bottom Line. So hello and welcome Rebecca Bitten, to The Real Bottom Line.
2: Thank you so much for having me. This is such an amazing, amazing topic and I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much.
0: Oh, you're very welcome. Now on The Real Bottom Line, a lot of times we start out just talking about your entrepreneurial journey. You know, how did you end up working for yourself? And, and let's start there. Tell me all about it.
2: So the, the interesting thing is I've always really had a lot of entrepreneurial qualities in, in my persona and in my in my wheelhouse. I've always been a self-starter. I've always had leadership qualities. I've always been really gung-ho about starting my own projects and really getting things done my way and really actualizing my vision. So I, I actually started with a bit of an unconventional route following graduate school where I got my corporate communications and public relations degree. And so unlike my classmates who kind of went the, the run-of-the-mill, you know, agency and corporate route, I actually kind of went under the wing of an entrepreneur as my first entry into the field. And so that really opened me up to a lot of amazing, vivacious entrepreneurs. I like to call them change makers because they were all very interested in changing people's lives through their products and services. And so that really, really exhilarated me. And I wanted to be that sort of agent of development and change for those entrepreneurs and really support them on their journey, because I knew that, you know, they were starting projects, they were starting businesses that I knew would disrupt the overall landscape of business and not just the landscape of business, but also the landscape of uh, business people and their lives and actually getting them to reach different levels of success. I worked with a lot of coaches and consultants. And so that really filled me with a lot of inspiration. And so I started my own company back in about, I think it was about 2017 that I started. And it was all my, my entirely new company. My expertise is all about inbound marketing strategy. So I was really teaching entrepreneurs how to listen to their audience
0: mm. and
2: really allowing their audience and their prospects to give them the insights they need to provide value-based content that builds trusted relationships so that they can work a little less harder and more and a bit you know work not as much but work smarter and really make sure that they're bringing value to their prospects so they don't have to really worry about hustling or sit or selling so much the the audience and their prospects were actually interested in coming to them as their as they were go-to experts of their field. And so I really help them transform their businesses. And that's really just been my passion and my mission moving forward.
0: I find it so interesting too, you know, when you started out dealing with entrepreneurship compared to your classmates, it must have been a completely different experience, like in the work, in that work term as well, in terms of mm-hmm. what you got to do and how you experienced it um, compared to someone who may have gotten into an agency. I find when interns end up at smaller companies, they get their fingers in more pies and more experience.
2: And that's exactly what happened with me is that a lot, and it's interesting because I did get some pushback where I remember my my professor was basically saying, you know, you don't really know this person's company very well. Uh, You know, wouldn't you rather go to, you know, an award-winning agency like Strategic Objectives? or, Mm -hmm. you know, Helen Knowlton, and have that, that prowess of having such a trusted brand name behind you, starting out on the field. And I said, you know, I'm, that's just not who I am. I'm, I'm definitely more, uh, I tend, I tend to gravitate to people who are, are innovating. Mm -hmm. And they see an idea. And I think that that was literally what I wanted is I wanted to have a mentor that reflected the same drive and passion to innovate and create that I I knew was living inside of me as well. So I think it's really important too that even anybody who's kind of starting out on a new field, I always like to say, always find a mentor that you can relate to because that's going to allow you to get to a higher version of yourself through the qualities that you share with them as well. And so that's essentially what happened with me is I got into this industry of entrepreneurship because I knew that I was different than my classmates. I knew that I wanted to start my own projects and have my own vision and have that drive to see them to fruition as opposed to some of my classmates who were interested in sort of just kind of assisting Um. and, and being on that reliable, stable track of you know the agency life and the corporate life
0: so you're probably a bit more of a risk taker then
2: yeah and i have to say i think it's like not not just about risk i know a lot of people associate entrepreneurship with risk and there is there's definitely a risk to it as well but i think for me what what drew me so much is that it made me feel like everything is possible like anything is possible so long as we have a problem that we're solving for a group of people that want that solution. We can make anything, you know, we can create anything, we can put things into motion. Um, and I wanted that creative control. I wanted to be able to have my hand in those pies and really get into the, the kinks of, of what makes good business strategy. and How can we do the best for our clients and change their lives in a, in a real way that goes beyond campaign work, that goes beyond um, the extent of, of agency and corporate things? Well, and
0: the work you were doing around inbound marketing strategy, that does allow you to kind of makes, it, it really kind of forces you to understand buyer's journey, but also what's going on in the corporation. How are they delivering? What's important to them and the client? So it's quite an education you get when you're, when you are dealing with different corporate or different companies and different entrepreneurs. It's like, mm-hmm. um, you know, I call it the PhD from the street that, uh, <laughs> that <type> of, <laughs> That training that's very ad hoc, but you have to kind of experience it to get it.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, it's also a matter of like I mean, I even say this to my clients who I now coach uh, with their mental health strategy is I always say it's so important to lean into your strengths. And I knew that I was the type of person that always broke the mold. I was always breaking the mold. I was always the one in my class that would ask too many questions and wanna to start too many product, projects and have so many ideas. Um, and so it just seemed like something that was a lot more akin to my strengths and my talents and the way that I work. And then having those flexible hours and having that flexibility creatively was something that I needed. Um, and, and, and it was also one of those things where, like I say, because I had so much creativity, I didn't want to stifle it with a hierarchical work culture. I was happy to be on my own and making things happen uh, for my clients and, and for those who I serve. So
0: you started out with inbound marketing, but now you've done a shift and you're being mm-hmm. become coaching, mental health coach to entrepreneurs. What happened? What made, that, what made you decide to do that switch?
2: Yes. So it's actually one of those things where I found that uh, sometimes we change consciously and directly and sometimes change kind of happens to us in a lot of ways. And I found that that happened to me when I was going through my business. Everything was going quite well. Um, My business was doing well. I was feeling up a little bit, but I wasn't prioritizing my self-care And I wasn't prioritizing my own overall well-being. And this was after already experiencing a number of episodes with my bipolar disorder. And it came to a point where I find that it's it's one of those things where it's like, I didn't hear, I didn't really, I didn't really answer the call of the need to self-care, the need to sleep, the need to stop and rest, you know, the need to make sure that I'm, 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 you know, following up with my meds and my doctor's appointments and things like that. These kind of things that a lot of entrepreneurs often fall by the wayside because they're so concentrated on actualizing their mission that a lot of the time they may actually put themselves last. And that's what was happening with me. And so I actually went through rock bottom. I completely burnt out. Um, I was hospitalized for a few months. And funny enough, I actually met a couple entrepreneurs in the hospital and, you know, I met one gentleman in particular who was a business owner and he had every picture of success. He had a thriving business, beautiful family, stunning wife, amazing children, and he just didn't appreciate any of it. And his mental health suffered and it really was a big wake up call where I basically said that if I am to have success, I want to have a success that is sustainable. I want to have a success where I can leave a legacy behind without driving myself into the ground work-wise. And another thing I wanted to also um, mention as well is that it really gave me a wake-up call into understanding what my actual why is. So as much as marketing is something that I'm very good at, I I recognize that that wasn't my mission. It wasn't my mission to dole out marketing strategies. It's my mission to use all the wisdom and life lessons that I've learned going through my own self-care and self-love journey and mental health journey and be able to be that guiding light for other entrepreneurs who are having a lot of trouble, um, whether it's stress Or workaholism or perfectionism or imposter syndrome, all of these things that make 70% of entrepreneurs report as having a mental health challenge. Mm. And so I felt like this was just an epidemic. I felt that, you know, everybody in their mother was telling me that they were also having experiences with mental health issues. And so that became a really big purpose of mine. It became a, a very, very fundamental um mission for myself where I was like we don't really need to be this way I've met I've met so many incredible creative promising people like unbelievable potential and 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 the potential of making real change in this world except they cannot um find a way to sustain themselves and sustain that level of external success and so That's why if you see, for example, in my LinkedIn or a lot of my marketing, I talk about internal success, that the focus should be on redefining what success looks like. Because the conventional vision of success is driving us to burnout, you know, having that that need to have a constant schedule, a constant work routine um, and really kind of equating our value in you know, the, the credentials and the fame and the riches and the prowess in the, in, the, in our field. And I just, so funny because I've met so many people who have that, that version of success that we buy into, and they're not happy mm. and they're not healthy and they're certainly not healthy. Um, and so it really just opened up my eyes and it made me realize that if I want to have an influence, I want to influence the way that we define what success means and how, we we need to kind of shift it away from being this feeling of, oh, I need to be this amazing, successful business owner, which is what I had, and assert my value on my value as a business person and shift it away and make it more about my value as being a human being and being able to change lives in a genuine way um, that will help people go over their internal obstacles. Um, so I truly believe that once we master ourselves internally the external success comes on its own and it it comes a lot more fluidly it doesn't come with force and hustle and grind which is what i feel a lot of entrepreneurs tend to fall in the trap of
1: are you looking to boost your business value beyond just increasing profit introducing the business value amplifier a revolutionary 10-week program designed to help you uncover proven methods to enhance your company's worth Discover how to transition from feeling unsure about maximizing your business value to becoming a savvy operator who deliberately and methodically pulls the levers of value building. With the Business Value Amplifier, you can expect to take control of your business's growth and be intentional about enhancing its value. Whether you're planning to sell or simply want a more vibrant, predictable and lucrative operation, this program is for you. Don't miss out on this opportunity to amplify your business's value in just 10 weeks. Go to blackstarwealth.com amplify and apply for the business value amplifier today. That's blackstarwealth.com amplify. Your business will thank you.
0: So I'd like to go into that just a little bit, um, the external trappings of success, if you will. Um, is, there, is it a society thing? Is it something that comes from what we perceive as entrepreneurs as success? Like where did this external definition, where, where are the roots of that? You know, mm. are, because we call ourselves an entrepreneur, we're supposed to hustle and grind because that's what entrepreneurs do. Like where do, where do these trappings come from?
2: That's a really great question. It comes from a lot of things. I think there's a lot of internal factors as well as external factors. I find when it comes to internal factors, sometimes what we we get into the the trap of is and this is what this is at least what my, what my experience was as well, which is I only felt valuable unless I was doing well. And and it was the, it was a way of of saying, you know, for me, especially considering that I had mental health challenges, I felt that if I was doing well at work, I could convince everyone around me that I'm fine
0: Mm. and that
2: I'm doing well. And there was a dignity in that. There was a pride in that. Um, I noticed that entrepreneurs, as we say, a lot of the ailments that we find mental health wise are things like imposter syndrome, where we seem to be constantly in this, in this need of, asserting and convincing everybody that our ideas are valuable and that our service is valuable. And, if, and and that can sometimes be internalized as if people don't think my business or my service or my impact is valuable, then maybe I'm not valuable. And that could be a huge blow to somebody's self-esteem. I know that when I was getting sick, I, I judged myself a lot because I wasn't productive and I wasn't on my game and it made me feel awful because when when you're not when you're a person that works 9 to 5 you just need to go to work and if you go to work and you keep your job you can have that dignity but as an entrepreneur a lot of us seem to be constantly convincing our spouses that our businesses are going our business streams are going to go somewhere you know we're convincing our financial advisors that oh don't worry you know I'll be able to pay back this loan once I make it big in my in my in my business these kind of things. So having that that need to constantly assert our value and constantly legitimize our and legitimize, you know, our ideas and our dreams and our ability to fulfill those dreams so that we don't just look like these dreamers that are unhinged from reality. So there's that internal struggle that happens. There's also the financial struggle as well. When we have that financial stress, it makes us push a lot more because we're like, well, I can't rely on anybody but myself to sustain myself. And if I have a family, sustain my family. And so that financial stress also pushes us to work extra hard because we don't have the comfort. We don't have the security of a stable paycheck. Everything that we receive has to come from us. Mm
1: -hmm. So there's
2: a lot of pressure in that. And so that can lead to a lot of workaholism that I've, I've, I've noticed as well. And there's a guilt too. Like when I talk to my clients and they say, you know what, Sunday, I didn't really do anything. I just kind of hung out at home. And I was like, well, great. Maybe you needed that space. And they're like, Oh, but I feel so guilty. I was supposed to send that email. I was supposed to work on that website. I was supposed to do my content that day. And it's funny because we don't have conventional bosses like nine fivers, but our boss is right here constantly, you know, um, judging. breaking us down and pressuring us and judging us. And it's like, oh, I, you know, I had a lazy day. How could you have a lazy day? And, and what's aggravated too, in terms of external factors is that on social media, it, it aggravates it even more because I know, for example, when I, when I moved into coaching, every time I opened my phone. There was another strategy for coaches, or another coach was posting online, or saying that they closed a client, or posting testimonials, and it's like an onslaught. Um, and I see this with ev- I see this with other issues too, like you know women that are trying to get married or women trying to have children, or any other kind of pressure, any kind of goal that we have, social media just tends to throw it in our face that everybody's already doing it already. You know, you're already missing the boat. You
1: um, are behind.
2: You are behind. Exactly. You know, it's like you're hoping that your stuff, you know, proposes, and yet you open social media and everybody's engaged, you know, or everybody's posting wedding photos. And it, it, it's one of those things where it's like we almost can't even escape it. I've had to have moments where I don't even look on social media for a while. And there's a guilt for that because. We're always told, well, you better be visible on social media. or Your business is going to implode. And I said, well, I'd rather be slower mm. uh, in my results and not look at social media or not be on social media than my mental health implode. And, yep. and that was one of the biggest shifts is that I would rather have a success that is a lot steadier, but have my, my mental health be completely intact. Then for me to have a very quick success, which is what happened earlier, and then me get sick, and then I'm incapacitated for months, and then for sure I'm not even just slow down; I'm, I'm completely out of haul. So it's one of those things. Like I tell my clients too, you know, you can't keep going on a road trip when you never stop for gas. Right. You gotta stop. You gotta refuel. You gotta recharge. Um, but you know, the pressures of our our family, our spouses, our financial advisors our social media, our peers, um, those pressures can sometimes get us to hit that gas pedal too hard and too long. And, And this is how we can get into burnout.
0: Yeah. And about burnout. So as entrepreneurs, what are a couple of signs that we can readily recognize that it's, you know, I'm headed there or I'm full on in it. How do I know I'm heading for burnout?
2: That's a really great question. So there's a lot of different types of burnout. Um, and mm-hmm. I find it's not really talked about a lot, that there's different kinds of burnout. So for mm-hmm. example, physical burnout is something that you can find, um, something that could be starting to occur. One of the warning signs I would say is definitely be mindful of your sleeping habits.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Definitely be mindful of your eating habits. Uh, I would say if you're in a situation so physical burnout, if you're finding that you can't fall asleep, a lot of us tend to have that, those racing thoughts that happen before bed. That's usually a sign where if you feel like you can't turn off, then you're probably off the, you're starting to become off the rails a little bit and you might need to rein it in and, and take some time for yourself. Another thing that you can always, um, notice as well is irritability. I noticed that it's the same idea as when we're hungry. It's like, you know how people say, we're, you know, oh, I was just hangry. Right. Well, exhaustion can make us quite angry as well. It's almost like, it's almost like a a child getting cranky because they didn't have their nap. Right. It's a similar idea where it's like, we almost resent the, the work uh, patterns ourselves, even though we're the ones that are perpetuating it, like I still have my my partner and he'll be like, you know, nobody's pressuring you to get it all done today. You know, I never told you to do this. Nobody's telling you to work this hard. You know, wh- why don't you go ahead and take a nap? Why don't you like go to bed early today? You know, and, and it's funny, because, again, like, that's the kind of sign of being an entrepreneur is that, nobody's telling us to work this hard there is nobody there we don't have a boss that's on top of us all the time we're on top of ourselves so if we start to feel irritable we start to feel exhausted we start we start to almost resent I find that's the biggest warning sign when you start to resent what you're doing and it's starting to feel like a burden rather than and a a pleasure what rather you know it should be pleasurable our mission should light us up not make us bitter and resentful and i think that bitter and resentment is towards ourselves and it's almost like our bodies and minds saying you know i hate you why are you making me work this hard? i never asked you to do this to me you know i just want to enjoy myself i just want to have fun you know it's like we ride ourselves too much it's like having like an overbearing competitive parent that doesn't let their kid do anything except succeed. You know, it could be very it could be very harsh. We can be very harsh on ourselves. So those are some examples for physical burnout. There's also emotional burnout, which I've 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 experienced as well. Emotional burnout is a lot less easy to track and and identify, but it is there. I know that emotional burnout Usually for me and and a number of my clients came in the form of imposter syndrome, Mm. where you get kind of exhausted and you get overwhelmed and you're like, am I even doing this right? You know, am I even doing this right? Do I even know what I'm talking about? Like, does everybody notice? Are are people noticing that I'm unhinged? Are people noticing that I'm overwhelmed? And then the the overthinking starts to happen, right? Mm. And, I, and it can actually be very emotional. Like it could be very, it could be very dismantling to be very critical of ourselves. Sometimes we're just very, very critical. Like my clients, some, some of them are very critical of themselves. I have to get them out of that yeah. because they're like, "Well, why am I not successful yet? Why am I not getting those six figures that everybody says I should be getting right now?" Right? And it's it, it's it's a very it's a very big bludgeoning of ourselves you know it's like we really we're really attacking ourselves sometimes for not being at a certain level or not generating as much as we'd like um and and that emotional burnout is something that can lead us to a certain sense of almost depression and heaviness and resentfulness and this kind of despair of why am i even doing this like people must think i'm crazy you know, nobody actually believes in my ideas, you know, I'm just full of it, you know, I'm not qualified for this. And so those questions, that sort of berating of our ego uh, is a big sign of emotional burnout as well.
0: So fascinating, the fact that there's even kinds, I had never contemplated that. So I think I'd like to ask one final question. And that is, what are some of the tenets of a good self-care regime?
2: Hmm, beautiful. I
0: know, you know, when it seems like for women, I'm supposed to get a manicure or have a bubble bath, but what other, what other tenants, like how do I nourish my soul with my self-care?
2: Yeah, it's an, it's an amazing question. I, I always found it was very interesting how much we've decided to kind of capitalize and commodify self-care. It's so funny. Like when I talk about self-care, everybody's like, oh yeah, I'm just going to get my nails done and then I'll feel better. Right. And it's like, it's like, it doesn't have to be something that's so consumerist, you know, yeah. I, it's so, I always find solutions for women somehow have to do with consuming things. I don't know if you've ever noticed that it's always something that we have to buy. We're always, it's always like a retail therapy or trip to the spa or a trip to the hair salon. And I think for me, the biggest thing in terms of self-care is, first of all, getting really in touch with our bodies is number one. So the very first thing that I do with my clients when I get into our mental health coaching program is I teach them strategies for mindfulness. Because the, the best way for us to take care of our bodies is to start listening to our bodies. And listening to what's happening, because once we start to tune in, our our, our bodies and spirits will whisper to us and say, mm, "This doesn't feel so great. This doesn't feel aligned with my mission. You know, I don't really feel like going to this uh, engagement, or we don't really think this is going to be worth our time." Like those intuitive. Signals are there. I just feel like so many of us have ignored them so much. And so I think the very, very first step is self-awareness. I find that being aware of, you know, I I, I do this with my clients where we track their mood and we track their, their energy levels and we actually work on an hourly basis. You know, why is it that your energy went up in that last hour or went down in that last hour? Or why did your mood change? And it's one of those things where we monitor that and track it so that we can see, you know, what are our, our triggers? Are there people around us that are draining our energy? Are there activities that are draining our energy? Um, is there something that's affecting our mood? Maybe it's, uh, you know, whatever it is. And then we look at the positives too. You know, how come when you were coloring your mandala, you said that your energy was at an eight? You know, maybe we need to do more of that. And I think that like, it's one of those things where, and this is why only I work one-on-one because it's different for everybody. Mm-hmm. Everybody's self-care routine is different. I don't really understand why we've created this single narrative of self-care because it really does depend. Like, for example, I would say just as a short answer, creative outlets are extremely powerful, by the way. I think that they don't get enough recognition in the self-care conversation. I have seen so many of my clients where I've identified creative skills and creative abilities in them and I've really encouraged them to to use it as a way of processing emotions, releasing thoughts, releasing anger or tension. You know, sometimes a creative outlet could be extremely powerful. I have a client, she started to get into comedy and then she decided, uh, I, I told her, I was like, you know, you're actually really funny. Like, have you ever thought of going into comedy? And she said, no, I never thought of it that way. And I'm like, you should start. And I, and I really encourage her. And I started finding gigs for her. And now she's a, a, a really well-to-do stand-up comedian. And she does it as a way of therapy. And that's for therapy anytime she's going through a hard time she makes a joke out of it a bit. and it's it's great it's fun and it helps her um i have other stu- other students and clients they prefer meditation for me i love meditation yoga i love yoga because again it's always about connecting back to my body so if i feel like for example my chest is getting tight or i'm getting a pressure headache i know that maybe i'm working too <laughs> Um, And it's it's a sign for me. So learning the signs and symptoms of when do I need to pull back? When do I need to release? When do I need to express? When do I need to communicate? All of those are about getting back into our body. So I'll ask my clients, you know, how did your body feel when you were overwhelmed? What happened before you were having that feeling? What happened after that feeling? How did you respond to that feeling? So again, allowing ourselves to dial back into our minds, bodies, and spirits really, really helps because our bodies are the best, are the best teachers. They, our body will tell us when it's time to rest, when it's time to pull back. And so long as we can listen to that, listen to those whispers, they won't become, you know, screams. Which what, which is what happened to me, where I ignored it, ignored it, ignored it, and then my body was like, okay, if you're gonna ignore us, we're just going to make you really sick so that you can't ignore us anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's kind of how our a lot of our health happens, is that, you know. We get those initiate those initiating signals. And if we can catch them right away, we can work on them and we can process them so that they're not so heavy on us to the point where we get into burnout. We can prevent it.
0: Hmm. That's so fascinating. I really wanna thank you for your time today, Rebecca. I feel like we've covered a lot of really, really important ground. You've had some amazing tips. And I think the real bottom line here is that your internal gain, And your internal success measures are actually key to your external success.
1: Thank you for listening to The Real Bottom Line. This show is produced by Black Star Wealth. Executive producer, Wendy Brookhouse. To learn more about the show or to contact us, go to blackstarwealth.com.